You're listening to the McFantasy NBA Podcast with Josh and Adam McDermott. G'day and welcome to McFantasy NBA. Thanks very much for listening. Today, I'm going to have a bit of a look at why the Dallas Mavericks have had such a poor start to the season. And Adam is going to examine his mighty Sacramento Kings. Adam, welcome. G'day, guys. Yep, I will be talking about the Kings, and it was very nice seeing them beat your Celtics yesterday as well. I'm glad you liked that, Adam. Before we get into all of that, we've got a little bit of breaking news. Breaking news. Disclaimer, this news is not broken by us. It comes already broken. Now, a little bit of news that's happened over the last few days. Probably the biggest of that was the game from Freddie Van Fleet. He had an absolute massive game the other day. 54 points for the Toronto Raptors, which was a franchise record. He hit 11 three-pointers in that game, which was career high. And this is a bit of a weird stat, but it is still a record. He was the first player in NBA history to score 50 points, have 10-plus three-pointers and shoot over 70% from the field and 70% from the three-point shooting. How's that for a stat? It's like one of those stats that the first guy to wear blue socks while shooting with his left hand in an NBA game. It really is, and it seems to be nearly every game there's a stat or every day there's a stat that's being broken that just it really doesn't mean that much. But nevertheless, an incredible game by Freddie. That's exactly right. Like, I guess you could make up a, a record or a stat for almost anything, and most of the time we do. Also from that game, another record that he broke, he was the most points ever scored by someone who was undrafted, which is a good stat, and it's a pretty special effort. I was reading a little bit about Van Vliet's draft year, and that was in 2016, where he had a party at his house with 150 friends and family there to hear his name get called on draft day. And unfortunately, his name wasn't called. So he had to do it the hard way. And he has now become a very, very good player. In 2019, he was an NBA champion with the Toronto Raptors. Last year, he signed an $85 million contract and a new shoe deal. And then this year, he's got that 54 points, the most ever by an undrafted player. So... He didn't do it the easy way. It didn't happen how he wanted it to happen, but now he is the best player on that Toronto Raptors team. Another record, this one here, again, is a little bit of a dicey record, but it's a record. Bradley Beal passed Michael Jordan for the most consecutive 25-point games to start a season. So not 25-point games all up, but to start a season. He's got 17 of those so far. He's absolutely dominating for the... Wizards, which seem to win an odd game here and there that they probably shouldn't, and they lose ones that they probably should. So who knows where that franchise is at. And the other two bits of news I have with the players of the month and the rookies of the month were announced. Nikola Jokic was the Western Conference Player of the Month, and Joel Embiid was the Eastern Conference Player of the Month. Two big men named Players of the Month. I think that's the first time that has ever happened as well, and both of those guys are dominating and could easily win the MVP, either of those two. And the Rookies of the Month, LaMelo Ball was the Rookie of the Month in the East, and your mate Tyrese Halliburton was the Rookie of the Month in the West. It's hard to go past either of those bigs in the 
uh, MVP award at this stage, but I still have my money on Kawhi. And as for the rookies, Tyrese and Lamelo are they're simply getting better every game. They're looking like they really fit in now. There's not as many turnovers and errors behind the scenes, so it'll be very interesting to see how they continue throughout the season. I was having a quick look at the standings, um, and Utah and Philly are leading the way, which I didn't. I don't think I realised. I think I just expected Milwaukee or Boston or Brooklyn or or the LA teams in the West to be at the top, but Philly has taken that top spot for the time being. And I also noticed the Eastern Conference are struggling like they have been for so long. So 9th, 10th, 11th and 12th in the West would all be inside the top eight in the East at this stage. And 13th, and 14th in the West aren't far off as well, to be honest. So nothing has really changed there. Tom Thibodeau is quizzling. I've, he's he's almost a traitor, I think. He needs to be giving these young guys a go rather than sticking with Peyton and whoever else is in that starting lineup. You see, quickly go out and score 25, and then today hardly gets on. It just doesn't make sense, and I know that would be haunting you with your fantasy team it is and it's it is strange but that's just how Thibodeau does it in that as soon as someone gets hot he'll stick with them but it made it it's hard on quickly because quickly's had two 25 point games and then another I think his 18 point game was playing really really well and now he's lost some of that momentum because he only played 13 minutes yesterday and in those 13 minutes, he still had nine points and still played okay. But because Peyton had such a big game, 20 points, eight rebounds, four assists, it meant that quickly just struggled to get on the floor. And it makes it hard for a rookie when they're trying to find momentum and trying to find their feet, but they can't get on the floor. But in saying that, New York won again. New York are actually going pretty well. They beat Chicago, who were battling. So did Thibodeau make the right decision? They won, so you have to say yes. Yeah, I I guess so. I just you think with a with an average-ish team you would try and play the young guys, but anyway, the Australian Boomers named their 24-man squad, and I'll just quickly go through the players on that list. We know most of them, so Joey Ingles at Utah and Paddy Mills San Antonio, Ben Simmons an All-Star last year from Philly, Aaron Baines at Toronto, uh, Thon McCare and Ryan Brokoff, who are both free agents at the moment, but there are rumours that they will be signed with someone shortly. They're in the squad. Dante Exum, who's recently gone to Houston. Delhi at the Cavs. Josh Green, draft pick this year at Dallas. And have you heard of Will Magne? I have not heard of Mr. Magne, no. He's an Australian who is on the New Orleans list, so oh. there you go. Uh, Chris Goulding in the NBL, Deng Adele, NBL, but has been on Toronto's list and played a fair bit of G League. Xavier Cooks, NBL, and has been on the Lakers list. Isaac Humphreys, who's in the NBL, but actually played, was a starting center at Kentucky with Bam Adebayo and De'Aaron Fox and Hamadou Diallo and a few others. Uh, Mitch Creek, who was on the Timberwolves and the Nets, and then a whole bunch of other NBL guys. Josh Giddy, who we've spoken about before, who's a projected first rounder. And then a few blokes playing in Europe. Nick K, Spain, Brock Motum, Turkey, Duop, Riath, Serbia. But the guy I'm really excited about is Matisse Thibel. Yes, he obviously doesn't score that much, but a very nice addition defending out on the wing. 
And what obviously hurts the Aussie Boomers is Andrew Bogut retiring. That big inside presence is going to hurt. But overall, the list is looking pretty good, and I don't know how they're going to cut that squad down. Yeah, the, the Thibault addition is a good one because I don't know where Matthew Delavadova is at. He hasn't played this season. He's battling, I think he's battling a concussion. I'm not yeah, 100% so. sure on that, but if he's battling a concussion and hasn't played this season, he may not play in the Olympics. This has to be one of the best teams, if not the best team that the Boomers have put together, if not ever, certainly for the last 10 years, and they have to be a medal chance. Obviously, betting the US is nigh on impossible. However, this team could certainly push for a bronze or silver medal. Very much so. And I and the Australians, as we know, they come to their own when they're playing for their country, especially guys like Paddy Mills and Joe Ingalls. They, they look completely different to what they do in the NBA. And it's very exciting with their, their rough AFL rugby-like approach. I also have a story on Jalen Brown when I was watching the Celtics and Kings yesterday. They spoke about his one year of college at Berkeley in California, Berkeley being the number four university in the country. Um, And he chose Berkeley because he cared about his education more than his basketball, supposedly. Otherwise, he would have taken offers at Kentucky and Duke and these, these other schools. From doing that, he still went number three in 2016. And some teams said that they were intimidated by him because he's so smart and inquisitive about literally everything. And the interviews made the the scouts sound dumb almost, they said. He was then invited to speak at Harvard in his sophomore year to speak about education reform. And he spoke about against he spoke out against the opportunity gap and racial inequality present in American schools. He then addressed themes such as the trapping of African-American youth within a flawed and divided education system. And since then, he has organized a range of Black Lives Matter protests when it was really heating up in the States. And one of them was in Atlanta. And he took a full carload of people from Boston to Atlanta, which is like 14 hours to attend one of his protests. So that's just another little bit about Jalen and maybe why he's absolutely dominating because he's just so smart and can read the play like a like a Jeremy Lin at one stage. He is. He's so smart and he's someone that could do anything outside of basketball because he is such a great human being. I remember I watched an interview. I was actually sitting in a hospital waiting to get surgery on my foot and the Ellen DeGeneres show was on. And they had Jalen Brown on there, which I thought, oh, this is weird, but it's awesome. Like, I'm sitting here and there's actually something sport on Ellen DeGeneres. So I watched the interview with him and she actually joked and spoke about him being president one day. And it's not out of the realms of possibility. You see some of, like, he's going to be better than Donald Trump, isn't he? We're not going to talk about politics, but he's that sort of guy that outside of basketball could have a bigger career and bigger influence on America outside of his basketball career. Another story, Jason Tatum went number three in 2017, so the year after Jalen Brown, and he grew up with Bradley Beal. They're from the same city, they went to the same high school, and they had the same skills trainer in Drew Hanlon during their teenage days. Although they never had the opportunity to share a basketball court together because Beal's about five years older. 
But on Christmas Day of 2017, the, the, the lifelong friends of, of Tatum and Beal got to play against each other for their first time ever. So on Christmas Day, that's pretty special. Um, and that's something that Tatum had always, I guess, dreamed of because Tatum looked at Buell as like his big brother and the person he looked up to when he was younger. So to get a chance to, pl- to play against each other time and time again now is something pretty special to both of them. Beal and Tatum both grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, where they attended Chaminade College Preparatory School. As I said before, they were born five years apart, so this prevented them from ever really taking the court. But that age gap didn't end up preventing them from growing very close. Tatum looked up to Beal, who then went on to win the Gatorade National Player of the Year honours during his senior high school season in 2011. And Beal, during his loan season at the University of Florida and first three seasons with the Wizards, would watch Tatum follow in his footsteps, who then won the National Gatorade Player of the Year in 2016. So all along, he was confident that Tatum would continue to follow his path straight into the NBA, though he probably couldn't have predicted that Tatum would be selected number three overall, the same as Beale five years earlier. Before that matchup on Christmas Day in 2017, the Tatum family had a whole Beale family for a unique Christmas Eve celebration that was full of laughs and trash talk, as I'm sure you would imagine. But on top of that, Beale's mother was Tatum's mother's volleyball coach at school as well. So their link goes right back. Um, and it's pretty amazing to see their growth now. And Bill said in his, in his opening years with the Wizards, he'd talk about Tatum back at high school and how he was going to get picked up in the coming years. But I don't think any of them would have expected that they'd both end up being all-stars. Probably two of the best, two, two of the top 10 players in the competition. And it's funny how all these guys, we've spoken about a few of them on this show, how they're intertwined in their upbringings and some of them are friends before they get into the NBA. America's such a big country, but in NBA circles, it's a little bit smaller than what we understand. And hearing these stories makes us uh, come to that conclusion a little bit more. McFantasy NBA, your league, your team. Rightio, so Adam and I have given ourselves a little bit of a task just to quickly examine a couple of teams and how they're performing in the NBA so far this season. I'm going to kick things off with the Dallas Mavericks. Now, the question that I have and that I'm going to try and answer and try and let others answer is, are Dallas underperforming or are they just not any good? Now, last season... Dallas's record was 43-32, and 32, which now looking back on it, they might have overperformed. They lost in the first round of the Western Conference Finals to the LA Clippers 2-4, and last season was the first time that they had made the playoffs since the 2015-2016 season. This year, they're 9-13. and 13. They're third last in the Western Conference, and in their last seven games, they have won just one. And that was yesterday. So are they underperforming or are they no good? They are currently sitting at dead last in three-point percentage. And this is where I'm going to examine here because this is why I think they have fallen off from last year. Looking through their list, there's not really anyone that has improved their three-point shooting percentage. The only guy that has improved it is Maxi Kleber 
He's now shooting at 46.2%, which is very good. But the rest of the guys, we'll have a look at them. Luka Doncic last year made 2.83 pointers a game. This year, he's making 2.1. He shot at 31% last year, which still isn't all that great. This year, he's only shooting at 29%. Josh Richardson, who they got over for Seth Curry. Seth Curry was clearly by far and away their best shooter last year. He shot at 45% from the three-point line. Catch and shoot master, and Luka Doncic love playing with him. They hope that Josh Richardson although he wouldn't shoot as well, would provide a more all-rounded game. And when they traded for him, I'm sure they were going, we really, really want to get ourselves the Miami Josh Richardson. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened, and they've probably got themselves a version of the Philadelphia Josh Richardson, which wasn't all that great. He was he was shooting at 34% last season with Philly. He's now shooting at 28%, and he's more cold than he is hot. Pazingas, he's dropped off as well from 35 to 30%. So you add all that up, and they're now the eighth worst offense in the league. On top of their shooting percentages, they're the second lowest rebounding team in the league as well. Now, why is this happening? Number one reason that I look at is last year, Luca was phenomenal and pretty much carried that team. This year, he came back out of shape. He admits that he came back out of shape. And that's a little concern, but he is only 21 and something that he has to learn. He has to learn that you've got to work over the offseason. You have a look at LeBron James. LeBron James spends millions of dollars on personal trainers and his body and dietitians just in the offseason to get himself right for the first game of the season. At this stage, I don't think Luca understands that and he's just relying on his natural talent. And he has started to play better, but has he improved from last season? I don't think so. Looking down the list, has anyone in that Dallas team improved from last season? Has Porzingis improved from last season? No. Has Hardaway improved? No. Richardson improved? No. Don't Finney Smith improved? No. Kleber? Maybe, but not really. And who Dwight Powell? No. And who else have they really got? No. They don't really have any leadership in that team. To be honest, their leader almost has to be Luca. And I don't know if Luca's ready to be a leader of that team yet, but he is their best player and he's showing a lot of frustration because last year he'd do some amazing flashy passes out to Seth Curry and then Seth Curry would hit the shot. This year he does amazing flashy passes out to Tim Hardaway and Tim Hardaway bricks it. He does a flashy pass out to Richardson and Richardson bricks it and he's just getting more and more frustrated because he's finding guys for open looks and they're not hitting the shot. They're not making the three and because of that their offense is so poor and their three-point percentage is so poor. What excuses do they have? They had the COVID issue, which is an excuse. They were missing a few guys due to COVID, so they weren't at full strength. But a lot of teams have had to go through that. So I don't know if you can use that as a really strong excuse. Pozingas has come back from a meniscus injury, and that's certainly an excuse for him. He hasn't really found his form yet. But is is he actually any good? He's a decent player, but we haven't, seen enough consistent basketball from him. That meniscus injury was the 13th lower body injury he's had in just a five-year career. So he's played five seasons, had 13 injuries to his lower body. I don't know. I couldn't count. I don't know how many he's had to his upper body. But 13 to his lower body. He just can't get on the court enough. And is he good enough to be the second best player behind Luca? I'm not sure if he is. And if he's not, then they need to find someone else who is because there's no one on this team, and even their 
their draft picks. Like we haven't seen a lot of Josh Green, so we don't really know what he has to offer. And offensively, he probably doesn't have too much to offer at this stage. So for Dallas to actually make the playoffs this season, which is looking highly unlikely, they're going to have to make some trades, but they don't really have anyone with trade value at this stage. So does that mean they trade picks? Do they try and get free agents? They need shooters. They would love to get someone like a Buddy Heald, possibly a JJ Redick. He's one that that might be a chance, but I don't think he's the answer. He's not going to playoffs. Zach Levine, he could be the second best player behind Luca. And long-term, they're not going to be a contender this year, but if they were to pick up him, they might be a chance. If they want to improve their rebounding, maybe they could go after Drummond. I don't know how that would work. I don't know how he'd play with these other guys. But they have to make a change because at the moment, they're floundering, and I can't see them turning it around, even if they do improve that three-point shooting. Looking down their roster, there's not a hell of a lot of excitement there, and there's not a hell of a lot of leadership there. What are your thoughts, Adam? Do you have any? on the, the Dallas Mavericks. It made me think about San Antonio when their big name players were starting to die off. Not that it's anything like the situation, but when San Antonio had guys like Ginobili, Tim Duncan, uh, Tony Parker at the end of their careers, they weren't necessarily doing much, but they were still providing a lot of leadership and a lot of coaching and training for the younger guys. And they were a better team when those guys were there, even when they weren't playing well. So it made me think at Dallas, one guy that they did have last year that they don't have now is JJ Barea, who came on and created a bit of a spark. And I, I can't imagine how crucial he was in the leadership for guys like Brunson and those younger guys and how good he would be with Josh Green now. So I think as much as he probably wasn't doing that much, he was still probably playing 18 minutes and getting a few threes and quite a few assists. And I imagine he's actually quite a big loss. I'd agree, I'd agree with that because who does Luca have on that team to look up to? We could talk about this all day, but you have to have some leaders there. Luca's only 21 and he's possibly not as motivated or certainly not as motivated about his body as what he probably should be, but he's got no one to follow in the footsteps of. He has no one there to go like a LeBron James or a Bradley Beal or even a Russell Westbrook who works really hard on his body, someone that he can follow in their footsteps and go, gee, this guy's working that hard. I need to work that hard as well. But he has sort of no one to, even no one really to pull him in line apart from maybe the coaching staff. Like the leadership there, I don't maybe James Johnson might be a good leader. I'm not really sure. I know Hardaway Jr. isn't. So it makes it really hard for these guys to improve when you don't have leadership there. And honestly, I don't really think anyone on that Dallas team's improved. And there's not many other teams in the NBA that you couldn't say no one's improved so far this year. No, I I totally agree. And I think because when you look at losing Seth, picking up Richardson, you wouldn't think it's too big of an issue. They've picked up some defense and they've, they've lost a shooter. But overall, it shouldn't make a huge difference. So apart from, as you're saying, them not being physically fit and in the right place or JJ Barea leaving, but all in all, I've, I think they do need to make a trade. There mightn't be a lot of value in Powell and Hardaway and these guys, but maybe they make a move anyway. It's not going to take a whole lot to get a player like Buddy Hield either. No, that's exactly right. So speaking of Buddy Hield, you've had a little bit of a look at the <clears throat> Sacramento Kings. How do you see their season so far, and where do you see their season going? Well, last podcast I 
finished with Luke Walton being the issue. But now having the Kings have won four of their last five, maybe he's not as bad as I was going to just shit on him last week, last podcast. So I'm going to kick things off with Marvin Bagley. He's in my fantasy team and I watch 80% of Sacramento games. And I believe that Marvin Bagley is actually, in fact, a good player. He just doesn't get enough minutes and his defense obviously lets him down a lot. But in his rookie season, he played 62 games and averaged 15 and 8 with almost a steal and 1.0 blocks, which is actually quite a bit better than someone like Wiseman this year. So he wasn't a bad rookie. Last year, he only played the 13 games and he was injured in most of them anyway, so it was pretty irrelevant. His rebounds have gone up. His points are similar. His blocks have gone down a lot, but his three-point shooting is up to 36% and he's shooting over one per game, which is more than doubled from his rookie year. Another interesting stat, a hustle stat, a stat that I like, is he's leading the Kings in charges and he's sixth overall in the NBA in taking charges. So he is, as much as his defense lets him down, he is putting his body on the line and trying on that end. He just needs to put on some size and get a lot bigger and probably ignore his dad as well. What I would do with the Kings going forward. They're only one game out of the eight in the West, which is pretty solid, probably on par with where they probably expected to be. But I would change the starting lineup, but keep Bagley in it and rather move Buddy Hield to that sixth man position. I think at the end of last year, he played the best when he was sixth man, as much as he may not have liked it, but he comes on with so much energy and his lights out shooting, his, his microwave ability, I think would be better and then Halliburton into the starting lineup in his place. Because at least Halliburton can defend on the wing and defend very well, whereas both Hield and Bagley are shocking, so at least one of them needs to go to the bench. An interesting thing about Bagley, he is only 21, which means rookies this year, Obi Toppin, Neesmith, Sadiq Bay, Precious Achua, are all older than him. <clears throat> you look at sophomores, so last year's rookies, He's the same age as someone like Morant and Garland and Hero. And guys like Washington, Alexander Walker, Okiki, Brandon Clark, DeAndre Hunter, Rui, Reddish, Cam Johnson, they're all a year, if not two or three years older than Bagley. Which means I think being a big guy, almost seven foot, he needs a little bit of flack. Like he's he's really not doing that much wrong. And he just needs time to mature and put on some size. And in the Kings, someone like Robert Woodard or Me Too or Jeffries or Justin James, Kyle Guy, they're all older than him as well. He's a very young player and he needs to be given more minutes and time to mature, in my opinion. I agree. He cops a lot of flack, Marvin Bagley. Everyone said, oh, he was a, he's going to be a bust. He's no good. Give him a chance. It's really only his second season that he's playing in. And some of those bigger guys, it takes a little bit longer for them to develop. And I look at the Sacramento Kings. We spoke about Dallas before. I don't know. If you ask someone, oh, who's a better team, Dallas or Sacramento? Everyone's like, oh, Sacramento are no good. They've always been no good. If you actually compare these rosters next to each other, I know Luke is the best player on either of the teams. But Sacramento 
have more excitement. They have more upside. When you look at De'Aaron Fox, who's only getting better, Bagley, as we just spoke about, he's got a, yes, he still might not be the player everyone hoped he would be, but he's got a lot of improvement ahead of him. Tyrese Halliburton's one of the favorites for rookies of the year. They've got those three guys in particular that are still only very, very young and could be on that Sacramento team for the next 10 years. They could be playing in playoffs in a couple of years' time, if not next year, well, this year maybe, or next year. Yeah, very much so. So talking about bad raps, Hassan Whiteside, he isn't very good at basketball, but he is absolutely massive. And I think he's actually a very important piece for Sacramento. When he's actually playing over 10 minutes a game, which hasn't happened that much, the Kings are actually 8-3 and three on the season when he plays more than 10 minutes. So Whiteside playing more, they're 8-3, and three, and overall they're 10-11 and 11 on the season. He plays against the second unit and knows he can defend as hard as he can because he doesn't need to worry about fouls because he's only playing 10 to 15 minutes. So he's still getting the blocks and he just goes as hard as he possibly can. And that actually, it prevents the other team from scoring quite a lot. Although, when you pass it to him, gee, he drops it a lot. Like, it shouldn't be that hard to catch a ball. But anyway, but he's also, the, I think, the perfect chop out for Holmes because they're both quite aggressive defenders. And the biggest thing about him, I follow him on social media and he hangs out with Halliburton a lot. He's simply happy. He's having a great time. So I think he is quite handy for the Kings. He's also on a minimum salary. So he's on quite a lot less than Tyrese Halliburton. So he's earning no money, and he is, I think, quite an important piece. You're right, and by having him, because he's on such a small deal, they've got nothing to lose. He doesn't have to worry about fouls. He can just go out there and block and defend as hard as what he can and do a little bit here and there. And if he fits in well with the team, then good on him. He's another guy that cops a bad rap, and as you say, he might not be able to do some of the simple things well. But 8-3 and three with him there, when they've only won 10 games for the season... When, when, he's, when he's playing over 10 minutes. I think it shows that he's important to the team. All right, we've gone on too long. Again, we're going to quickly have a look at our waiver wire picks for fantasy. Before we go. So these are 14 to 16 team ads that might be available on your waiver wire. The guy that I have on my list is Jakob Pertl. He plays for the San Antonio Spurs. If you need blocks, he's always been a guy to turn to. Doesn't get a hell of a lot of minutes, but at the moment, Aldridge is out with a hip flexor injury and might be out for the next two or three games, maybe even longer. Yesterday, Pirtle got the start without Aldridge there, had 19 points, eight rebounds, one assist, one steal, and four blocks. So he's averaging 1.2 blocks for the season and two over the last two weeks. If you need blocks and a few rebounds, Jakob Pirtle is your man. Yep, I didn't realize he'd done that, but that's a very good game. My guy is Isaiah Roby. I know you had him last week when uh, Horford was out and he played really well. And since then, he hasn't done as much. But he did score okay yesterday. He rebounded a few. He got a couple of blocks. And Oklahoma have just announced that Poku and a couple of their other bigs are all dropping back to the G League, which should free up a few extra minutes for Roby. And of course, if Horford's out or it's junk time or whatever it is, Roby gets those minutes. And I think I think he's worth an ad and he certainly is long-term. He will only get better. So I quite like Isaiah Roby. Good call. Yeah, he's certainly one for the long-term. All right. Well, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Adam. 
Yep. Thank you very much. Have a good one. You can check us out, McFantasyNBA, on Instagram and Twitter. Hope your team wins. Thank you.